If, like me, you're looking to lose weight, then take a look at Jane Plan. Jane Plan is the UK's leading weight management system that creates deliciously healthy meals and delivers them directly to your door. Together with their support, you'll lose weight, feel healthier, happier, and more in control of your eating habits. Created by nutritionist Jane Michelle, Jane Plan is the easy and healthy way to lose weight. All your breakfasts, lunch, dinners and snacks are pre-prepared, perfectly portioned and nutritious, taking the worry away when it comes to managing your weight. There's no calorie counting, no weighing, no complicated recipes to follow and virtually no shopping either. In fact, all you need to do is heat and eat. And with personalised support from their qualified nutritionists, you'll join over 100,000 Jane planners who have lost weight and kept it off. If you care more about someone else's opinion rather than your own, then there's a chip of self-esteem that's missing. And that's usually what is the underlying thing of people-pleasing. They basically don't believe that you are good enough as yourself. So you do more to compensate for what you believe as a person you lack. Because the thinking is, if you're useful, they'll keep you around even if they don't particularly like you. Welcome to Two Women Chatting. I'm Michelle. And I'm Liz. Are you all right, Liz? Honestly, you look as white as a sheet. Mm, I'm not very happy. What happened? I just literally come out of my door, round the corner, cyclists. It's not far. No, exactly. <laughs> and what are they doing on that road? So I'm squeaking, I'm so cross. Yeah, no, nearly got knocked over. Oh, gosh. Yeah, but I did last week have the best. This is, this is like... Revenge. Oh, go on then. I on love my revenge and, and I'm, story. You know, but they, they obviously got revenge back again just now. <laughs> I'm going to my mum's. Mm. It's a wet day. I'm driving and I'm, I always get stuck by, you know, Saturday mornings, loads and loads of cyclists uh-huh. everywhere. Oh, yeah, because they're always going like three abreast or yeah. something. And they're allowed to, aren't they? They are. And then you get, you know, and you can feel, and you think, don't get cross, don't get cross. But, you know, the tension builds up. And, you know, I've been about three miles following them, literally that long. Yeah. And uh, we... <laughs> Turn the corner and there's this massive puddle in the road, literally covering the whole road. And <laughs> you're mean. <laughs> no, it wasn't me. It was the car in front. <laughs> they all went round the side and this car just accelerated and soaked them. Do you think he did it on purpose? Of course he did. <gasps> and I followed. <laughs> Elizabeth. What? You know, they, why don't they move? I mean, I appreciate go out for a nice cycle ride. But you know there's a whole load of cars behind you. Just just go single file for two minutes. Yeah, I mean, I'm all for it for the safety that you have to give them. I think it's like one to two metres, isn't it? They had the whole road. But it's the etiquette. You know, when you, it's like a tractor. If you're behind a tractor for several miles, normally they'll just sort of go in a field or something and let you pass around. But cyclists, we're going to get hate mail for this, aren't we? I don't care. (laughs) But, But cyclists just like, Stay in their lane, and they turn. They, they literally, they know. They turn around and sort of like they, you know, with their eyes, they're telling you where to go. They, they turn are just their, turn around with their eyes. Oh, you know what I mean, rather than their fingers. Like an owl. They just, they just. I, I don't like cyclists. I am a cyclist. Well, I was. I used to cycle in London. That's another story. Yes, how are you? Well, I'm all right. You know, tan's fading. Good. <laughs> I think I once told you about the story when I tried to keep my tan going when I was a kid. This was, and I put. I put tea bags in my bath water because <laughs> somebody had told me it, it keeps your tan going for longer, which is not as bad as when I did use self-tan and I was too lazy or thoughtless to, um, you know... Yeah, I'm not good at that. ...clean it off my hands and I ended up like handprints. I don't think they can see that. 
Oh, yeah, no, that was very visual for a podcast, wasn't it? So funny you should say that about video because we are going to start putting our interviews up on our YouTube channel. Mm. I knew you'd be delighted. I can't wait. <laughs> I'm not delighted either, but apparently it's the way to go. Do we have to follow everyone? <laughs> yes. Can we, we lead by just always being behind the whatever? Behind the curve. Yeah. It, can we lead by being behind the curve? No, I think we do that amazingly well already. We do, yeah. okay. No, we've got to push ourselves, learn a new skill and become YouTubers this week. We're going to be YouTubers. <laughs> We're going to be YouTubers. So when you started this podcast with me two years ago, actually, two year anniversary. Can we Is have it? a round of applause? Oh, it's round, yeah. And um, you bet you didn't see yourself as a YouTuber or influencer or Content creator. <laughs> oh, TikToker. <laughs> I know. So, we got anything else? Enjoy in there? the TikTok. <laughs> All the platforms that nobody yeah. follows us yeah. on, really. Of course they do. <laughs> oh, Instagram. Well, I'm looking do. forward to that. Not, yeah. Yeah. So, oh, well. um, dear listeners, that's what um, uh, the, the Wittering. Future. No, that's what the Wittering Whitehalls, um, they always refer to their podcast audience, don't they? Oh, so, dear listeners. Yeah. We, we ought to have a name for our listeners, but I don't know what it would be. Anyway, I digress. Chatters. <laughs> our chatters. Our TWCers. Um, we do have a guest. I bet you'll be really glad to know. He's <laughs> not here at the moment, but we'll be here soon. But she will be here soon. And she is Michelle Elman. And we met her when we went and did a Scent Academy thing, didn't we, with Floral Street? Yes, but do you remember how you met her? No. She came into the room and you went, oh, I know her. She's one of my daughter's friends. <laughs> And you charged over, and as you got there, you realised you'd actually see on TV that morning. That morning, yeah. Yeah. It was really... Because you know when you're kind of confused with, like, you think you know somebody or you've just seen them on telly you and you think, you know... I do do it all the time. Anyway, like, oh, hello, I know you, <laughs> And she was I? so polite. She was adorable. She was adorable. And she probably didn't think that she would be on a midlife <laughs> podcast episode anytime soon she but had she no, is she had no chance of escaping from you once, once you, she was lovely yeah she, she was, was. Yeah. and um she is the relationship expert actually on this morning and um, we'll go into the intro in a little bit but it occurred to us that you know one of the things that we do as midlife women as mothers as maybe as wives as friends um, we do a lot of fitting in and we do a lot of yesing. And I feel like saying a bit more no. <laughs> I'm getting much better at saying no. But I think it's kind of wrapped up in a term of people pleasing, of, of you know, making sure that others always feel happy or you're looking out for people all the time. It's people pleasing. And you're kind of an advocate for it in some ways. Yeah, because I'm not sure. That's why I've been interested to chat to Michelle, because why are there so many Michelles? I just realised <laughs> We're taking over the world. <laughs> because I, I see people, I don't know, it's people pleasing, just be nice or empathetic. I think it's probably the type of person you are. And I don't. I think some people are probably more people pleasers than others just because it's, it's inbred in them. In but them. do you think women and girls are more likely to be people pleasers? I would say so. Because it's, who is it that always says it? Elizabeth Day. Um, she always says we were raised as females to fit in not you know raise our hand and be a nuisance you know to 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 make things all go smoothly and it's nice to be a disruptor mm. yeah my daughter's not a people pleaser 
Is she not? <laughs> I don't know. She doesn't like someone. She doesn't like someone, and she'll make sure they know that. Well, you know, good for them. Yeah, I, yeah. It's wonderful that they know their own identities, and I would say my girls too are yeah. pretty feisty maybe, in their yeah, own right. Maybe it's an age thing as well. Don't know, or a generational thing. Yeah, but then, yeah, but then than my son, thing. son's plural, are much more empathetic. That's a nice way of putting it. And I guess they're people pleasers. I think it's hard to extricate being a people pleaser from being unable to say no sometimes as well, isn't it? Because you want to say yes because you want people to like you, you want people to be pleased with you, you want to, you don't want to rock the boat in any way. Hmm, I don't really know. That's that's why I'd be fascinated to, to chat. Well, let's get her in and chat and ask her all about it. So Michelle Elman is a five-board accredited life coach, a broadcaster, a public speaker. She's been named as one of the most inspirational women in the UK, and she has quickly established herself as the queen of boundaries. She's got a following of over 500,000, something we can only dream about, and she shares her experiences and expertise with a really engaged audience who have followed Michelle's journey, which we want to touch upon, and her rise in popularity. She's now a relationship expert and she's featured regularly on ITV's This Morning. She's got three best-selling books and her latest release is How to Say No, which marks her debut as a children's book author. And she's only just turned 30. (laughs) Welcome, Michelle. Thanks for having me. Um, I want to quickly go back to that because, as you know, our our audience is midlife women, not 30-year-olds generally. But I think one of the things, because Liz and I met you at an event and we were immediately drawn to your personality and warmth and honestly, maturity well beyond your years. Um, But having spoken to you for a bit, there's a reason for that, isn't there? And I I just wondered if you could set the stages to how you become a life coach or how you became a life coach and your journey, if that's not too cliche, to get there. Yeah, absolutely. I think I've been told that I'm wise, uh, too wise for my years since I was like 15 years old. And to be honest, I was grateful to turn 30 because for the last decade, it's been, you're too young to be a life coach. And I've already felt like I've been 40 for the last like 20 years anyway. But how it basically all started and actually how my online platform started was I went viral for a campaign called Scarred Not Scared that I created myself. And it it was the intention was always to share other people's scars and other people's stories, but the first post was going to be me and my story. And uh, it was a bikini picture with my surgery scars on show. So for those listening, I've had 15 surgeries before the age of 19. The bulk of those were when I was 11, and it was from things like a brain tumour, a punctured intestine, obstructed bowel, a cyst in my brain, and I have a condition called hydrocephalus. So it was just None of my organs seemed to want to work, (laughs) and it was one problem after another. And it meant I had quite a different childhood. And what's strange is you go through such a life-changing event, and the only thing I cared about, the only thing I thought about was my body, because I was a child going through puberty. And when are you most insecure? When are you most worried about what you look like? So I walked out of hospital. I was like, great, thanks for saving my life. I'm now going back to school with a half-shaved head and surgery scars all over my stomach. So I'm never going to fit in for the rest of my life. And that's where Scar Not Scared was born because over the years I became confident in my body, Um, especially around the age of 15. I kind of just had a moment where I realized 
you're not going to change your surgery scars. The only thing you can do to remove surgery scars is have another surgery. And I am not doing any surgeries by choice. And so I just had to choose to accept it. And this might not sound very body positive, and I am very body positive now, but I will say it was the beginning of me loving my body, was I made a decision slash had a realization at 15 that ugly people live fulfilled lives. And I just decided I was ugly and it was fine, but I was just not going to spend my time and energy to change it anymore. And it was the most pivotal decision. And I'm just going to back that up because I know it sounds like a horrible thing to say, but bear in mind, I was 15 years old. It takes more energy and time trying to change what you look like. And as soon as you got all that time and energy back, because I just decided I was ugly, I suddenly had leadership positions in school. I was working with three charities. I was going into primary schools as a primary school assistant. Like all of that time and energy, I was going on diets, trying to change my body, trying to look the way I was supposed to look. I just gave up in that area. I went, let's actually put this into an area that I can do something about. And so from the age of 15 to 21, I was comfortable in my body. I was happy. I... um, didn't love my scars, but I accepted them. And then I, I trained as a life coach and I was in a session with one of my clients and she was talking about body insecurities, which at that point I was starting to specialize in. And it seemed to be a trend that I was getting a lot of body confidence clients. And I shared a tidbit of my story. Like as a life coach, as a therapist, you're not really meant to talk about yourself. So, but you can share pieces of information, especially as a life coach, not so much as a psychologist, if you feel like it's going to help your client. And so I said a little bit of my story and she just responded being like, why isn't this on your website? And I was like, why would it be on my website? My website is for getting clients. It's about you, not me. She was like, because it really helps. And that's where I was like, okay, I want to do something about this, but I don't want it associated with me being a life coach. I'll do a separate campaign. I'll just put it on social media. At the time, I maybe had like 4,000 followers on on Instagram. It wasn't a big thing. Um and then it went viral. And I like to make the joke that uh, my body was so different. If you, A traditional bikini picture would not go viral across the world. But my body was so different that it went viral to the point where like my cousin in Israel was calling me and saying I was in the newspaper. The Today Show in America was calling like it was overnight. And at the time, this was back in 2015. Um, you really could go viral overnight. So I gained 40,000 followers in one day, in one week, sorry. Um, And (laughs) it was a whirlwind that I've never really got off of. (laughs) Right. Well, you've done such good things with it, though. I mean, I'm in awe of how much you have achieved in your number of years. And that's really why I wanted for our listeners to understand that you do have this wealth of experience to draw from. And one of the things that we particularly wanted to talk to you about today is people pleasing. And it sounds like very, you know, very light subject, very disingenuous. Is it so bad? I mean, Liz, you you speak on what you thought about people pleasing. Well, well yeah, once I sort of, we, we said we were to talk about this, it, it, I just think, is it being nice? You know, that's how I see it as, which, but then I looked into it more, read it more, completely different. Mm. But, but yeah, but is, is it being nice or is it? Is it something more than that? I think there's a difference between being nice and being kind. And you can still be kind while saying no. But when you're being nice, if you think about it, every time you're being nice to the people around you, it's usually caving to what they want. And that's where I put the difference is like kindness is you're going to do, you're going to convey everything in 
the nicest way possible, I guess. But that it's not necessarily like the kindest thing in a relationship that isn't working is actually breaking up. If you're still going to be nice to your partner, you'll stay in that relationship. And I think people pleasing is the direct opposite to setting boundaries. And as much as I started this podcast with like my background, it got to a point where I frankly got bored of talking about my body because I have a brain and uh, I am a five board accredited life coach and everyone seemed to forget about that while I was going viral for my body. Um, And so I really made a shift into my life coaching self. I merged it all together. And the thing that I just kept coming back to And I'll be honest, it largely came about because I got four rejections after my first book. And I I was like, I quit. I can't do this anymore. Four rejections means I'm a one hit wonder. I got one book out. That's fine. I never I never even thought I could get that published. And then I said I quit. And the next day, my social media agents just said to me, you can't quit. This is the time to push harder. And if you could write about one topic, what's the one thing that's changed your life the most? Out of all the life coaching things, you know, even in your personal life, you go, you have your own life coach. What's the one thing? And it was like a light bulb in my head. And I was like, boundaries. And that's what I seem to be known for now. And it's because I truly believe it. Boundaries are, so I know it's a word that's thrown around, but I just want to give a simple definition, which is that it's the line between you and me. It's all about treatment. It's about what is and isn't okay about how someone treats me. And I think that's one of the most pivotal parts of my learning, but also what I teach others, because I think women inherently are taught to be selfless, put other people's first. Your feelings don't matter as much as someone else's. And if you hurt someone else's feelings, you're selfish. Um, hence the name of the of being selfish which is my second book and it's so funny because as soon as I started writing that book proposal I was like why did I not see this like it poured out of me that book I wrote in five months I was in lockdown thank god because <laughs> um, I had a five-month deadline anyway um, but it poured out of me because it, I was a people pleaser to be honest if I'm going to be really frank I was a pushover and I had to go through that journey myself. And I remember the first day in like, it was the first time I really started talking about boundaries with my own life coach. And I was talking to her about a situation. I don't really remember what it was, but I remember she said, well, why didn't you say something? And I was like, well, I can't say anything. And I was like, well, what was I meant to say? She was like, this doesn't work for me. That's not going to work. I was like, you can't say that. (laughs) And she was like, why not? And it was almost like a different language where it just hadn't occurred to me in the moment to say something as simple as that doesn't work for me. That's a very simple, also kind boundary, but it's not necessarily me being nice. So what would you say is the definition perhaps of people pleasing so that people can maybe recognize those elements in themselves? It's it's not just I mean, there's a number of different things, isn't it, really? At the end of the day, it's putting someone's needs above your own and in order to be more liked. But I think the thing that people pleasers have to remember is that even people pleasers are disliked and you can't win over the whole world. But if you care more about someone else's opinion rather than your own, then there's a chip of self-esteem that's missing. And that's usually what is the underlying thing of people pleasing they basically don't believe and I didn't believe that you are good enough as yourself so you do more to compensate for what you believe as a person you lack because the thinking is if you're useful they'll keep you around even if they don't particularly like you absolutely yeah so I mean what makes people people pleasers 
I mean, is it is it part of their background? You you mentioned there, you know, we're often girls, I think, are, are taught to stay in line, say, be nice, you know, it, that sort of thing. But can there be trauma related um, in childhood? Or is, what is it that sort of ends up in a people pleaser? Yeah, so I think it can be trauma for myself. Um, when I went into hospital when I was 11, I uh, I was in hospital for five months and I was in my first year of secondary school. So I just made new friends. Uh, it was the start of the summer term. I went into hospital and I came out uh, towards the end of the summer term. So I just stayed at home. And then I entered year eight, um, like brand new, not having seen everyone for three months, um, plus the summer holidays. And I walked into this classroom and uh, someone said, oh, I thought you died. And basically none of my friends knew I had survived. No one had been given an update. No one knew what had happened to me. Um, and I think that was my moment. I was like, I don't want to ever lose friends again. So I'm going to go. It, for me, it was less about that I didn't believe I was good enough. But of course, there was a piece of that in there. But there was a thing where I I believed the worst thing in the world was losing friends because I lost all the friends I'd worked really hard in year seven to make. And so I always went over and beyond for all of my friends to the point where I still have a video of one of my friends gave a speech at my 21st birthday. And she said, one of the favorite things she loves about me is that I'm, I always pick up the phone after one ring. And that even if I have things going on in my life, I will be there no matter what. And she said, she calls me one day at three o'clock in the morning and I was on the next train. Sorry, that sounds like a really lovely person. But if that's no boundaries, like that is the definition of no boundaries that I couldn't even just be like, yeah, I'll get to you in the morning. I had to be there then no matter what was going on in my life. And actually, I think we should stop glorifying being selfless because what does selfless really mean? It's, it means forgetting yourself. It means forgetting the fact that the day she called, I was moving out from Bristol back to London and I'd had the longest day. I was completely forgetting how tired I was, completely forgetting how long and tiring my day had been and putting everything she needed above my own because I think I didn't have confidence to say no. And if I had said no, would I lose that friendship? And then I would be going through what I went through at 11. So trauma can be a piece of it. Another piece of it can be your upbringing. So if you grew up in a household where you were only praised when you did the dishes or you got high grades, you learn that you need to do something in order to get love. You need to do something in order to get approval and that you never get that love for just existing or just being yourself. Oh, I can see that. I can see that. I mean, you've talked about your experience in high school. And I think, you know, as midlife women, one of the or any women, as you become mothers, as you have as you have families, you do start becoming lower and lower on the list. And I think the funny thing about hitting midlife and many menopause or perimenopause is that there's a shift change and there's this glorious filter that that <laughs> disappears, disappears. And you start wanting to say no. But if you've been a people pleaser or, you know, putting yourself so low on the list for all those decades, perhaps, how do you then change people's perception of you and start saying no without causing... It's offence, isn't it? You can offend people. Offending your friends, your family's like, whoa, 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 what's going on here? You want us to do the dishes too? Where did that come from? So, you know, how as menopausal midlife women do we stop being people pleasers still be liked but have a more equitable 
you know, place in our we on say, our lives. We say like, but like by the people we want to like us. Oh yeah, I'm not bothered about the ones yeah, I don't like. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the key to it. And unfortunately, setting boundaries is the fastest way to find out who's in your life for the right reasons and who's in your life for the wrong reasons. Because if it's conditional on you always doing the dishes and it's conditional, obviously that's more a household thing. But if your friendship is conditional on you always being there or your career is conditional on you always bending over backwards, then those relationships will get strained when you start setting boundaries. Now, there will be a period where there is shock and surprise and almost like kids. You know, when you set a new rule with kids when they're young and they test that boundary, they want to know whether you're serious because you've never been serious about it before. Like, that's what's going to happen. So the first few times you set boundaries, they'll carry on doing what they want to do anyway. And then what your job is, is to reinstate that boundary and say, you know, we had that conversation yesterday about this and that. Well, I meant it when I said it. And if you don't do that, and this is the important part, set a consequence. If you don't do that, then... And when I say a consequence, you need to set a consequence you are able to stick to. Yeah, not those pretend ones that you say, oh, you're going to, you know, I hear so many parents in the park or wherever say, if you don't, if you touch that again, Johnny, you're not going out for a month. Now, that's not realistic, is it? But you're right, you know, set a consequence that you can actually carry through and be consistent with, actually believe in that consequence and make it happen. You don't want an empty threat. So, for example, if you have a friend who keeps talking about your private information behind your back about it, you say to them, hey, this isn't cool. Um, it, I'm, And the consequence there could be, hey, we had this conversation yesterday. I found out you've done it again. If you continue to do this, I am not going to tell you this information anymore. That's a consequence. It doesn't necessarily mean this friendship is over. Of course, if there's a prolonged period of boundaries being broken and they're not listening to your needs then absolutely have that more serious conversation but the consequence could simply be I'm not going to tell you this information anymore if I can't trust that you're going to keep it between us so it's something like that and then I think the other main part is we live in a society that's very much about quick fixes and when people ask me how to set boundaries I actually think a lot of the way they ask me how to set boundaries isn't how do I physically have the words come out of my mouth it's how do I do it without any fear, any discomfort, any guilt? And it's just not realistic. It will be uncomfortable. You are trying something new and it's going to be a period of discomfort. But the good news is the first time you set a boundary is the most uncomfortable and then it gets easier. And I think you just have to go through that discomfort. You have to remember your why. You have to remember why you're setting that boundary. And ultimately, when you go through, and I say when because I've actually not known anyone to set boundaries without losing a single friend, when you lose people in your life because your boundaries are too much for them, you need to remember that that's not a person you wanted in your life anyway. When you have no boundaries, there is a tendency for people pleasers to attract people who take advantage of that. And those people will naturally leave your life because they can't manipulate you anymore. They can't have their way um, and they can't take advantage of you. And that's that sounds really horrible because you never want to think your friend is doing that but they're not necessarily doing it consciously. Sometimes they're doing it unconsciously and they're just in their head. All they understand is, oh, I don't like the new you. But you have to allow, you have to want the new you more than you want anyone who doesn't like your boundaries in your life. You talk a lot about friends there. I suppose what comes to our mind, um, 
say, for example, when your kids leave the nest, you've got an empty nest and the dynamics of your household change. Um, I'm thinking more in sort of spouse relationships. That's what I, literally, I was thinking, relationships, yeah. How do you deal with that? Because, you know, you're living with that person. They've probably lived with you in the same way for decades. Well, they've forgotten what you were like before. before yeah, course. they've forgotten perhaps, you know, you do have that relationship outside of the children. And it is such um, uh, such a pivot point, such a, a likely point for divorce when people realise, oh, do we have anything in connection? Women, like, I'm sick of this behaviour. I'm sick of it. I'm not taking it anymore. I'm not going to be a doormat. I want to rise up. I want to do some different things. I may want to go back to work. Um, so in a, in a in a partner a relationship situation, same thing? Or, you know, are you dealing with it from a slightly different emotional viewpoint? It's coming from a slightly different viewpoint, but by the time you get to midlife, you're you've already gone through various iterations of yourself. You're you weren't the same person you when you started the marriage. So at least I think it's very easy to go, well, they've known a certain version of me, but let's remember that version of you hasn't been the same, that you already have gone through changes because things like pregnancy, things like growing up just naturally changes a person. So have a little bit more faith. I would always say have a little bit more faith in that relationship being more flexible and that you do have permission to change and also bring them in on your journey. I think it's very different when you're living with someone where they're going to notice this change and they they will start second guessing whether it's them because why is this change occurring? So actually saying to them, hey, I've been having a lot of conversations about boundaries lately and I think I need more in my life. And I think there are some rules I need to reset, not just for our relationship, but for our household. And I think it'd be really useful for us to sit down with the kids and actually create some house rules that are going to be new. And especially now that the children are adults now, we need a new set of rules. And that's a better way to go about it. And then when things come up, you can easily go, remember that conversation I had with you around boundaries? This is one of them. Look, you don't have to like it, but you do have to respect it. You don't have to understand it. If you would like to understand it, you can ask me why. But you can still respect boundary even if you don't like it. And unfortunately, me setting more boundaries will inconvenience your life more. But these are things I should have had in my, my life the whole time. Wow, I love that. I, but you're so right. Set it out with clarity. As least we can do is to have a conversation before we suddenly say, oh, right, by the way, I don't do that anymore. Uh, that will be your job. In a way, it's just respectful, it's authentic, it's they, it's kinder. I mean, you can't expect someone to get on board without knowing what they're getting on and board they don't, with. And they, they can't read what's in your head. Mm. You know, we, we, I'm the first to admit it, I just assume that, that my husband or kids will know what I want something done. Often we think we think out loud, don't we? But we don't. That's very wise words. When, Michelle, you said that, like, oh, I just don't do this anymore. It could be something, like, if you're a people pleaser, you're always the one who empties the dishwasher. But... Every time you do, you get resentful. And every time you do, you go, oh, so is no one going to help me? Oh, I'm because so passive like that. I'm terrible. Be- I'm so <laughs> passive. If my kids are listening to this, like, oh, that's mum. That is yeah. mum. <laughs> yeah. But, but that's because what happens with people pleasing is resentment and anger builds up. So anger and resentment are the two emotions to tell you that your boundaries are being crossed. So when you have that conversation, it could go something like, hey, have you noticed that sometimes I get resentful around the dishwasher? How about we set up a new system? Everyone takes a different day. And so it's 
not like I'm not doing this anymore. I'll still do my one day of the week, but do and actually having asking questions can be a really great way. So saying, do you actually think it's fair that I'm the only one who loads the dishwasher? Do you think it's do you think it's fair that when you hear the dishwasher go off, you click the button so the sound stops, but you don't actually think to unload it? Um, oh God, Michelle, yeah, you're so right. <laughs> I might be 30, but I've had these conversations when my partner moved in. I literally was like, have you noticed that the the towels get washed magically every week? <laughs> and he was like, I've actually never thought about that. That was actually his ah, response. Yeah, I've never thought about that. I was like, have you ever thought about the floor, mat, the floor mats as well? Like those magically get washed every week. And he was like, oh, okay. So we sat down, we came up with a solution and his solution was um, reminders on his phone. So he puts it on the notes app. And originally we were both on the notes app and uh, and it's like the iPhone and reminders thing. So when you make a solution and you try it out for two weeks and you're like, hey, this still doesn't work for me. So you have the reminders on your phone. You, you might not do it every week. You might do it every other week or whatever, but I don't mind doing it once in a while as long as it's fair. And that's what it's all about, isn't it? It's fairness at the end of the day. And we just don't want to feel resentful and ruin our relationships with friends, kids, spouses, whoever, partners. Michelle, you have just such wisdom before, beyond your years. Yeah. As I said to you before we started this interview, you're like 30 in dog years. You really are. You're just, oh, and I love the way you explain things so well and so relatably. Actually, can I ask a question? You know, a life coach, it's something that, you know, when I, because I'm nearly 60, I don't think they existed when I was younger. But I, I've heard more and more, my daughter's, what, 25? And I've heard that, you know, some of her friends are, are, are chatting to life coaches now. Is this something that a lot of younger people are, are doing? I will say for the first five years of my career, every time I said I was a life coach, I had to explain what a life coach was. So, yeah, it, it's a term that suddenly got into the mainstream very quickly. So it's very hard to differentiate life coach and psychologist because they're starting to merge. A lot of people are trained in both now. Um, so psychologist is is a, has a board basically that protects the term. You, no one can just call themselves a psychologist. Unfortunately, everyone can call themselves a life coach, and that's where you have to be quite careful about picking your life coach. The reason why I actually was training to be a psychologist, I got a degree in psychology. I didn't go on to my masters because I liked an approach that had more flexibility. And I'll be really honest, talking therapy didn't work for me. And in my final year of university, I got PTSD from all my surgeries. I was obviously intending to be a psychologist. And then I went to go see a psychologist. And I was like, how the hell am I going to be this if it's not working for me? And that's when I started looking at other approaches. And the first person I found where it worked for me, I turned to him and was like, what are you trained in? That's what I want to get trained in. And he turned out to be a life coach. Um, but I think for me, the simplest way to explain it, and this is with a lot of nuance and complexity around, behind it, is that a, a psychologist asks what the problem is, a life coach asks what do you want your future to be instead. So it's more future focused. Um, and it's less, so let's say, for example, you had an eating disorder in the past, but it's not a problem in your day to day life now. A psychologist would still talk about that because they believe it impacts the rest of your life. Whereas a life coach won't bring it up in session unless you bring it up in session and you say it's a problem in your life right now. But if it was eight years ago and it ha doesn't affect you now, then that's not a current problem. That's so helpful. That's really yeah. very helpful. 
Well, again, Michelle, thank you so much for being with us today. You are absolutely delightful. And I hope we bump into you again soon in real life, as they say. Um, Thank you. Well, that was interesting. And she's right, you know, the first time you put boundaries in place is going to be the most uncomfortable. And then it's going to get progressively easier, isn't it? As people get used to the fact that you actually mean something. And it doesn't have to be really aggressive or anything, does it? I mean, I love the way that she reframed it, that, you know, if your kids are now adults and their needs have changed or they're not living at home, well, of course, the whole family dynamic has changed, hasn't it? So that seems to be a really fair time to reassess household chores and stuff, doesn't it, with your partner? Yeah, I I guess it's happening naturally anyway, in my household at least. They just, they just, you know, when the kids come home, they do stuff they perhaps didn't do before because they've got their own homes now. They they know stuff. They probably weren't aware that they they needed to do it, and I perhaps didn't, you know, force them to do stuff. I'm talking about emptying the dishwasher in particular. Mm. Well, that's what she said as well, isn't it? That you know, we as women, we have gone through different iterations throughout our marriage, from being you know young, from being young mothers, from being mothers of middle schoolers or high schoolers and now empty nesters and oh, podcasters <laughs> don't mess with us <laughs> but we have gone through different versions of ourselves that our family and friends have had to either keep up with or those connections have changed or you lose connections with people but you know i i do genuinely believe in just being authentic and just being yourself because I don't think you're ever going to be happy if you're constantly putting on some kind of show. Yeah, and I think that's it. I think it's just evolved, isn't it? I think with me, I've evolved into not being such a people pleaser as I used to be. Mm, I'd agree with that, Liz. (laughs) (laughs) Would you say I'm a people pleaser? Sometimes, probably. No. (laughs) (laughs) No comment. No, it's, it's, it's 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 when, you know, a particular time you might be and it sometimes it's easier to be. People-pleasing sounds kind of positive, but as Michelle said, it's when you feel anger and resentment that you know your boundaries are being Mm. crossed. Yeah. And I don't think I always very fairly, with clarity, present what those boundaries are. And it's that kind of, you know, I mentioned it in in the chat, that's me with the the whole... um, dishwasher thing yeah how do you think this gets emptied you know I come at it at a really you know kind of annoying angle and really I should just say all right I'll do Monday who's doing Tuesday Thursday yeah and funny enough I think we did that more when the kids were little and we were trying to teach them do you remember those days yes <laughs> responsibility. but also you just gave up so I just gave it I'm like do you know it's an easy life I'll do it myself and that's the problem but you know it's not a problem because I'm happy to do it that is it in a nutshell Liz it's an easier life to just get on and do it yourself because you know how to do it, when to do it and how to do it really well. Mm. But by laying down those foundations, what we're doing is creating hard work for ourselves. Mm. It's too late for us. Yeah, too bad. <laughs> anyway. Any kids listening? <laughs> yes, take it from us. Do it early. Interesting though. She's such a nice person and she, yeah. she, is, a, she is like 30 going on about 120 in her sort of wisdom beyond her years because she's been through such she a has, lot yeah. and you know she she always is just she does it with a smile which is lovely as well she's always got a smile on her face she absolutely does and if you want to find michelle on instagram and follow her and some of her very positive messages you'll find her at 
at Michelle L E L M A N. Michelle L Elman. Easy to say, really, isn't it, when you say it fast? Michelle Elman. Anyway, so I think that's it from us this week. Don't forget to check out our midlife library on twowomenchatting.com. And we'll see you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to Two Women Chatting with our special guests. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to us if you left a rating and review. Even better, share with your friends. And please get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. There's a link on our Instagram bio and Facebook pages. 